Well, I invite you to open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we will be in verses 6 through 16 this morning of 1 Corinthians 2. We're almost to the end of this mini-series about who we are as a church. And what we've been considering together is this, that we are a local church committed to Christ-centered worship, life-on-life discipleship for a global mission. As we've tracked our way through this, we've said there are certain activities that we commit ourselves to, but there is a certain way that we do this. As we exalt the triune God through the person of his son, Jesus, as we touch one another's lives with the word of God, we do this in a way that demonstrates the sufficiency of God's word for all of life. And last week we saw together that Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus saves sinners, is our only hope. It is not something that we leave in a closet and walk away from. It's something that informs our daily relationship with the Lord. This week we're going to drill down into this idea. How is it that the Holy Spirit works in our lives today? How do we see the the power of the Holy Spirit manifest in the church today? We're going to see this central idea in our text, and that is that God's Spirit works today. God is not dead. God's spirit is active. He works in and among and through his people. As we come to this text, we're going to see how it is that he does this. Would you please follow along in your Bibles as I read aloud 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 2, 6 through 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Paul writes, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? Well, it's been several years ago now, it's when we were living in Greenville, I think Liz maybe a bit was at a ladies' conference, I'm not sure, but I was pushing Grayson on the swing in our backyard. She was around two or three years old at the time, and I was pushing her on the swing, and she was kind of, I don't know, babbling on about different things. And then out of the blue, she said this. She said, Daddy, why did Jesus have to die on the cross for our sins? She's two years old. These, she speaks these words out loud, and I am just sitting there. You know, the, the emotion wells up inside me, and I think, I cannot believe this. God is regenerating my daughter at age two. And, uh, and so I'm pushing her, and, and, and I pause a moment because, you know, it's such a person, a deeply personal moment in this time. And, and as I prepare to respond to her, before I can even begin to explain the gospel to her, she says, Daddy, why did Jesus have to die on the cross for our sins? And then before those words are out of her mouth, she says, Dad, look, a squirrel! 
I thought, isn't that a picture of a two-year-old mind? I mean, here I am thinking we're having this deeply insightful spiritual moment. It's just like, you know, one thing after another, and, and you, know, you have no idea what's going to come next. I mean, have you ever tried to get inside the mind of a two-year-old? Or have you ever even tried to understand the mind of the person you're married to? I mean, that can be a lifelong excursion into the vast mystery of the universe, trying to understand the person you're married to. It's a mystery to understand someone's mind, isn't it? And yet what Paul demonstrates for us today is that it's possible to know the mind of God. This feels impossible, and yet Paul says that the Spirit of God reveals the mind of the Lord to us. Now, this person that we're studying today has sometimes been called the forgotten God, the overlooked third member of the Trinity. In fact, you know, we very clearly see the sovereignty of God in creation and ruling all things, speaking the world into existence. As you read through the scriptures, it's very easy to see in the redemptive story of scripture, the redemption of Christ, Jesus the Son. And yet when it comes to the Spirit of God, sometimes we almost forget that He is fully God as the Father is God and as Jesus the Son is God. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. He is a thrice holy God. Listen to Jesus' words about the role of the Spirit in the life of his followers. Jesus, before he leaves them in John 14, says, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The promise of the Holy Spirit is unmistakably clear in Scripture, and yet some churches avoid this doctrine altogether. Now, it's also true that some churches twist the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and sort of make it nothing more than some emotional human experience. But we know from the Word of God that God's Spirit never works apart from God's Word. He works through the Word of God, and so much that takes place in the name of the Spirit is actually outside the bounds of what God has clearly outlined in His Word. But the Spirit of God isn't some optional, optional, forgettable kind of attaché to the Father and Son. Rather, He is absolutely essential to our growth in Christ-likeness. You cannot separate the work of the Father and the work of the Son from the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus himself promises here in this passage that it is the Spirit who carries forward the work of the Son. So how is it, Paul says, that the Spirit operates in our lives today? And what we see here is that we cannot know God apart from the Spirit of God. In other words, it's impossible to know any part of God if you do not know the Spirit of God. Now, if you've tracked through what we read, you know we're starting right here at the end of this section, verses 14, 15, 16. That's because Paul here summarizes his entire point. He takes a few verses and he kind of boils it down. Do you want to know God? You cannot know God apart from the Spirit of God. So then how is it that God's Spirit reveals God to us? Is it a mystical speaking of the Spirit? to an individual, or is there some more objective standard? 
Well, keep this question in mind because we're going to come back to it later on. But God speaks for now. Let it suffice to say that God's Spirit speaks through His Word and to us today by helping us understand His Word. God's Spirit speaks through His Word and by helping us understand His Word. You see, the Spirit of God helps blind people see. People who are deaf can hear. People who are spiritually slow begin to understand. Spiritually dead people raise and understand what God has said in His Word. Verse 14 draws a contrast for us between two types of people. He calls them natural people and spiritual people. Now, this is not a contrast between those who are comfortable with themselves and those who are highly spiritual. Rather, it's a contrast between those who have the Spirit of God and those who do not. It's not some super class of Christian. Rather, it's, it's helping us understand that you cannot see or understand the Word of God apart from God's Spirit because God's, spirit, God's Word itself is spiritually discerned. I mean, there are words on a page, and you can, you can read the words on the page without understanding the significance of those words. And what God's Spirit does is He takes these words and He brings them to life for us. The Bible comes alive. And it's not merely an unwillingness to understand God's Word, although sometimes people are unwilling to read the Bible. Rather, verse verse 14 says it's a complete inability. Paul says, you are not able to understand apart from God's Spirit. So if we cannot understand God and we cannot understand God's word apart from the spirit of God, this begs the question, how in the world do I get that? How do I get the spirit of God? If we can't receive God apart from receiving God's spirit, how do we get it? As you read through the Bible and particularly the New Testament, what you see is you receive the spirit of God by receiving Jesus Christ, the son of God. By placing faith in Jesus, God sends his spirit into us and he lives within us. It's what Jesus predicted in John 14. The helper, the comforter, the one to come would be the spirit and he will be with you and he will be in you. It's what the, spirit, it's what the church experienced in Acts chapter 2. As they waited and prayed, God, would you come? And the spirit of God rushed upon them and empowered them for life and ministry. It's what we see in the epistles. If you come to the chap- Romans chapter 8 or Galatians chapter 4, where Paul writes that the Spirit of God witnesses within our spirit and tells us that God is our Father. In other words, one of the ways that we know we are God's children is that the Spirit of God within us tells us that God is our Dad. It's the Spirit who tells us that and gives us the right to call God our Father. God's Spirit witnesses within us, and Ephesians tells us that it is the Spirit of God in the end who is God's seal upon us. In other words, what Christ has done in redemption, the Spirit guarantees it. It cannot fail in part because the Spirit himself seals us, keeps us, and will preserve us till the coming of Jesus Christ. So by trusting Jesus, we receive God's Spirit. Is there any desire in you to know God, to understand God, to experience God's presence? If you want to know God, you must receive the Spirit of God by faith in Jesus Christ. There's no other way. It's not an existential experience on a mountaintop out there somewhere. It is through the living Word, Jesus Christ. If you are on some sort of journey looking for something more, something better, there is nothing better 
than a personal relationship with the eternal God of the universe through faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning, apart from Christ, would you turn from your sin and trust Jesus today? Verse 16 draws a line in the sand for us. Paul says, who has understood the mind of the Lord? Well, what's the implied answer? No, no one. No one knows this mind. We read earlier in Romans 11 that God's thoughts are beyond our thoughts. His ways are beyond our ways. No one understands God in a way to instruct him. But then Paul gives a surprising response. Who has understood the mind of the Lord? Then he says, but we have the mind of Christ. It's through the Spirit of God that God makes known His wisdom, a crucified Christ who God reveals by His Spirit. The mind of Christ is the wisdom of God for salvation. And note, there's a progression of thought in verse 16. It's kind of subtle, but it's important. Paul says, who has understood the mind of the Lord? Then he says, but we have the mind of Christ. So how is it that we know the mind and wisdom of the Lord? It's by knowing Christ. It's by knowing Jesus by faith. You cannot separate the true knowledge of God apart from a personal relationship with Jesus. We cannot know Jesus apart from the Spirit of God revealing his identity to us. The Spirit still actively works today in the fact that there are people sitting in this room right now speaking and praising the name of Jesus is evidence of the fact that the Spirit of God is still saving sinners, still breathing life into souls, still opening eyes to the significance of the words of God. But what if we don't have God's Spirit? What if we're missing God's Spirit? What does the absence of the Spirit of God produce? So up to this point, we've largely considered how God's Spirit works in real time today. But the question that Paul begins with here is a different question. He says, how has the Spirit worked through time? In other words, how has the Spirit worked in history? How has God revealed himself to his people? I mean, from the very beginning of Scripture, we see the Spirit actively at work in the world. You know the verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But what's the next verse? And the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. God's Spirit is actively at work from the very beginning of creation. You see, an absence of God's Spirit produces an inability to understand God's wisdom. Or to put this another way, an absence of the Spirit of God produces an absence of the knowledge of God. You can't know God apart from God's Spirit. Look again at verse 6. Among the mature, we impart wisdom. Well, in this case, the mature are those who recognize and trust Christ. It's Paul's message in verses 1 to 5. Paul writes, and I did not come to you proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse 4, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And then look down at verse 7, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see, the absence of the Spirit of God produces an inability to understand the plans and wisdom of God. And it was this that led people to kill an innocent man, Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Think for a moment about how this affects our view of God's work in the world today. 
Think for a moment about how this should affect our view of the expansion of the kingdom of God as people share the gospel. We cannot produce a single piece of spiritual fruit apart from the Spirit of God. We need God's Spirit to work among us. It's not something we can produce. Now, imagine with me this morning that we are, I don't know, we're going to start an apple orchard. And so we plant an oak tree. We're five years into this, and we don't have any apples on this tree. But we know where we can get some, so we run over to Harris Teeter. We buy some apples. And we buy some string and some tape, and we begin stringing apples on this tree. Now we've got an apple orchard. What do you get if you tie apples to a tree? Rotten fruit eventually. It ain't going to grow. You cannot staple or attach artificially fruit to a tree and expect it to grow. It must grow organically. It must grow from the source. We can't reverse engineer that growth. Only God can produce true growth, and the same thing is true spiritually. Brothers and sisters, we can't produce what God calls us to do. Only God can do it. Only God can intervene. Only God can give this kind of life. So we pray for God to add people to our church by conversion. And we've seen some people come to faith in Christ in remarkable ways. But just a few. It's not tens, it's not scores, just a few. So what do you do when you're in an environment where you know what ought to be happening, but you look around and you're not sure it's happening? Or happening like you feel like it should? On the one hand, it might be that right now we know it's not happening because we're not sharing the gospel faithfully. And how does the gospel get out? People sharing the good news of Jesus. And if we're not doing that, God sometimes does miraculously save people. But his ordained means of doing it is through our witness, through our lips, through our words. And it may be that right now God is speaking to us and he's convicting us because we're not faithful in sharing the gospel. But it may also be that some of us are faithfully sharing the gospel. But our ministry isn't like Peter's on Pentecost. Our ministry is like Elijah or Jeremiah. Where we preach and all we meet with is rejection. We pray for God's spirit to work, but then we have to rest in God's plans because they're different from ours. And if we could convince, if we could save, we would, but we can't. If we engage in tactics designed to attach rotten fruit to a tree, we will get more rotten fruit. In other words, we present the gospel, but people don't get saved because we offer a good enough carrot. People get saved because the Spirit of God breathes life into them. People get saved because the Spirit of God does this work. They move from darkness to light because God's Spirit awakens their dead hearts. Historically, we call this revival because God breathes life by His Spirit into His church. We proclaim the gospel. We invite people to receive and trust the gospel. We ask God, God, would you work? God, would you open eyes? God, would you help people here to do work that we cannot produce? Our job is to plow the ground by building relationships. Our job is to sow the seeds of the gospel by faithfully speaking the words of life to those around us. And it is God who brings home the harvest. One plants, one waters. God gives the increase. 
Brothers and sisters, we need God's Spirit. We cannot do what God has called us to do apart from His Spirit. We need God to work in us and through us. So we ask God, God, would you send your Spirit in a demonstration of the wisdom and power of God so the power and wisdom is not of us, as Paul writes here. God's Spirit works today. How is it then that God helps us understand? Verse 9, Paul quotes from Isaiah chapter 64. He says, As it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. What Paul's doing, he's quoting from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and what he's saying, this is how God works. And, and the people in that day, Hebrew says, they're, they're looking like through a veil or through a shadow. So they, they can... They can see the plan of God, Abraham, Moses, Isaac. They can see what God's doing, but they can see it dimly. Like, they see kind of vague outlines of the gospel. But not us. Jesus has come in real time as a real person in flesh, died on a real cross, risen again physically to redeem us from sin, and now we see clearly. God worked that way. They couldn't even imagine the good things that God had for them ahead. In that day, no eye had seen or heart even imagined. But now, verse 10 says, God reveals these things to us through the Spirit. Apart from the Spirit, we can't recognize Jesus as God. Verse 10, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, how many of you have ever had this experience, uh, you know, with your, your husband or your wife? Where they communicated to you that they wanted something, and you got it. And you bring it home, only to find out that ain't what they wanted. <laughs> so you, you brought home the wrong thing. You're like, no, 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 I know that's what you said. No, that's not what I said. I said this. There's, the, there's this disconnect, there's this miscommunication. So, who knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God? Who knows the mind of a woman except the Spirit of that woman? And I'm not sure even then. <laughs> you see, God's Spirit reveals to us God's mind, God's will. The Spirit communicates God's thoughts to us, and He does this specifically through God's Word. We can't understand God apart from God's Word. We asked a question earlier about how God's Spirit speaks to us. There's a school of thought that says God speaks to us apart from His Word, through individuals, and that kind of sets up the authority of the individual. And it's kind of like this, you know, people come to me and they're like, God told me to do such and such, what do you think? I said, well, I think the conversation's over because, I mean, I, I don't, like, if, if God said it, who am I to question that? But God doesn't speak apart from His Word. Rather, he speaks through his word. And it's clear in this passage. Look at the ways how God speaks here. Verse 1, we see the testimony of God. God speaks through his testimonies. Verse 7, God decrees. Verse 9, God writes as it is written. In verse 13, we impart this in words taught by the Spirit. Yes, God's Spirit works and opens our eyes to who God is, but he does this through the infallible, inerrant, already written word of God. God never works in a way that supersedes or contradicts his authoritative word. So it's essential that we never disconnect our commitment to the power of the Spirit of God from the sufficiency of the word of God. They're not disconnected. They work hand in hand. God's Spirit works through his word. That being said, 
we also must not reduce Christianity to a merely rational religion or a merely sensory relationship. Look again at verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. There is a mysterious working of the Spirit of God that we cannot see or truly articulate or truly kind of quantify. God works in ways that we can see and and clearly articulate, but there are other times God works mysteriously and we can't quite quantify that. The Spirit takes the Word of God and applies it to our lives. Imagine here this morning, we're not hearing a sermon on this text, we're hearing a sermon on Romans 8, 28, that God takes all things and He works them together for good to make us more like Christ. One person hears that, hears about the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God and says, I ought to go share the gospel with my neighbor because that's how God's at work in my life. Someone else is walking through cancer and they hear that same, same sermon, same words, and they say, God's at work in my life by teaching me to trust him, by walking through a difficult day and, and I'm going to trust him. Or, or maybe you're sitting here this morning and this morning it's like God is speaking to you. The voice of God is speaking through the words of God and you're like, He's talking to me. He's talking about me. He's not talking about someone out there. It's like God is putting a beam of light on you and he's speaking to you. And the person two hours behind you is falling asleep. Because God works in ways that we don't fully understand and fully see. God's spirit works according to his design and his plans. So we have to allow room for the spirit of God to work in our lives and ministry. Imagine that you find yourself in the middle of a difficult relationship. Maybe it's with a spouse, child, parent, difficult relationship at work. And if you're like me, you you enter a difficult situation and you begin to try to figure out how to fix it. Okay, what conversation can I have? What can I do? Okay, logistically, how do I address this? Or, 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 you know, what what can I do to change? Or, Or how do I address this? And sometimes we lean so much into what we can do that we don't step back and let God's spirit work. You know, your husband, he, he's just not acting in the way you want him to act. He's just not being proactive in the way that you want him to be proactive. He's not leading your family the way you want him to lead your family. And you lean, 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 lean. He's like, give me some space. Or maybe with your kids, you know, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, Helicopter mom, drone dad, pressing in, pressing in, pressing in. I'm not talking about abdicating responsibility. I'm, I'm saying that it's not just in theory that God actually does work in ways that we can't see. And sometimes if we give God the room to work, we may see him work. Husband, if you take a step back, your wife might actually be convicted and moved by God's word. Wife, if you take a step back, God actually might work by his spirit. Parent, child, child, parent. We're not abdicating responsibility. We're just saying that we're not God's spirit. We need God to work. So what then does this mean for us? What are some implications of this for our congregation? First, we believe in the necessity and power of prayer. You see, revival in individual lives in churches and in communities, in nations, comes through God's Spirit. As God's people pray and God sends His Spirit. It's been this way for thousands of years. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people 
who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will heal their land, forgive their sin. And why is it if we have a patriotic celebration, trunk or treat, fall festival, everyone, their mother, their brother, their cousin, and their cousin's mother and brother will show up. At a time of prayer, it's like crickets. Why do we struggle praying for a few minutes together in our services? Maybe even doze off. It's because we don't really believe in the power of the Spirit of God. Not really. Because if we did, we would lean into that. It's why it's hard to focus when we pray corporately, when I'm praying or when we're praying all of our voices. It's why it's easy to take prayer requests for a long time and pray real short in our Sunday school class. You see, our prayerlessness reveals our faithlessness. Brothers and sisters, if we want God to work, we must be praying Christians in a praying church. God is clear. Secondly, the fruit of evangelism comes by the power of the Spirit of God, not by our techniques. Now look, I'm not saying that we can't learn and grow how to share the gospel. I'm saying that God does this, and we need to pray for God to do this. It's our job to faithfully share the gospel, and it's also our job to pray that God will use our words and His word by His Spirit to bring people to faith in Christ. Now, I'm going I'm I'm to share something here, and what I'm not trying to do is make you all nervous about ever using this phrase. So, but, people, but people, churches, talk about having revival. That's something I don't understand. We don't hold revival. God's Spirit brings revival. You don't have revival by getting people in a room. God's Spirit brings revival. And when you see it, it ain't like what you think of. It's when God truly and masterfully works in ways that demonstrate the wisdom and power of God in ways that will blow your mind. And the last thing we want to do is give everyone the impression that, that being in that room or walking aisles, how you get saved, you get saved through faith in Christ and that alone. And I've seen far more fruit in my life before and after services and conversations as God's Spirit is at work. This is why we pray for God to make us a church that grows by conversion. We know our responsibilities, but we also know we cannot do this. God must produce this. It's also why you should think of and pray and build relationships specifically with people that you know who need Jesus Christ. Whose name? What person? What neighbor? What family member? Who are you praying for? that they will be drawn to Christ. Thirdly, we are utterly dependent on the Spirit of God. We believe that God's Spirit is powerfully at work today through His people and through the church. We also believe that it is impossible to accomplish anything eternal apart from the Spirit's power. We believe that the Spirit of God gifts people for ministry. Ordinary preaching by ordinary people is how God saves people. How do you know the difference between a good sermon and a great sermon? God's Spirit does that. 
If the, faith, the Word of God is faithfully taught, God takes His words and applies it to our ears. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, was saved perhaps on one of the most poorest, stumbling sermons ever by some sort of shoemaker, cobbler, or tailor. And he stood up and he stumbled through a sermon, and God saved Charles Spurgeon that day. Not through the power of that preacher, but through the power of his spirit. We're so confident in ourselves that we think we don't need to pray. That we think we don't need the power of the Spirit of God. But our confidence must be in God's Word and God's Spirit, not in our techniques. Brothers and sisters, God's Spirit is at work and we need God's Spirit to work. So as we close now, would you take a moment and pray? Pray for God to bring revival to your heart. Pray for God to bring revival to the life of our church and through us to our community. Let's respond now to the word in repentance and faith. I'll give you a moment to talk with God personally, and then I'll close this time in prayer. Let's talk to him now.